Let me invite you to grab your Bibles and open up to the great New Testament letter that we call 1 Peter. Something I've been looking forward to for a long time. Your teaching pastors have been looking forward to this and what God's going to do in us and through us as we give our attention to his word over the next few weeks and months together in this great letter called 1 Peter. Now, I want to kind of set up the way I'm approaching this, the way I'm looking at it a little bit this morning. We just came off a year of walking through the Gospel of Matthew, 28 chapters in a year, and I kind of think of the way we approach Matthew as a really fast bus tour. In other words, we were on a bus and we, we passed by a lot and there were times that we slowed down to kind of see what was going on, but for the most part, we, we went pretty fast like a bus tour through the Gospel of Matthew. And this is the way we chose to do it. It wasn't wrong or right, but... Getting ready to go through 1 Peter, and here's the way I look at this. It, it, we're getting our backpacks on, we're going hiking. <laughs> Meaning, we're, we're going to walk slowly, and we're going to walk methodically, and there's places that we're going to break camp, and we're going to stay for a while. Uh, we're going to do that when we get to marriage. We're going to do that when we get to different areas. Peter speaks to so much here, and spo- so many topics are covered. There's going to be places we're just going to camp out for a while and stop and go real slow. We're going to do a lot of exploring, if you will. We're going to turn over a lot of rocks as we go through 1 Peter together. I'm incredibly grateful that we get to walk through this book together over the next year. Now, what I want to do is I want to encourage you. There's ways that you can make the most of this study of 1 Peter in your own life. Let me give you some examples and some ways you can do that as we walk through this together. One is you can read it. (laughs) You can read it together. We've developed a, a reading plan. You can get that online. There are paper copies that are available for you out there in the foyer. Read through the reading plan together as a church as we read this together. The reading plan, by the way, starts tomorrow. So if you think, well, I'm already two days behind. No, you're not. You get a break. We're going to start tomorrow is when that reading plan begins. Secondly, I encourage you as a part of this new year, prioritize the weekly gathering. Just prioritize being here together One of our morning uh, gatherings on Sunday, and we're going to, again, verse by verse, walking through this great letter together, and just make this a priority as we gather. Thirdly, I would say this, you can study 1 Peter. Go beyond just the reading of it, study it on your own. So again, out in the foyer at the table out there, we provided some great study tools for you. Pastor Wes will be out there and others, he can explain some of those to you. Dig into 1 Peter on your own. And then fourthly, dig into 1 Peter with one another. Let's study 1 Peter in community. You can do that through your life groups. What's God been teaching you is the question we always ask. One of the questions. We're able to come back and say, as we walk through 1 Peter together, here's what we're learning as a church in community. Study groups, you can go deeper into this. Uh, Wednesday nights will be behind the message where we'll go a little further into 1 Peter. We'll say more about that later. Here's the point. Plenty of opportunities for you to make the most of this study of 1 Peter over the next few weeks and months. encourage you to do just that. Now, my aim and my goal this morning is simply to introduce 1 Peter. Particularly, we're going to take a look at the apostle himself, talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to have a couple seasons of corporate prayer this morning to kick off the new year. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer today. I'm going to lead through a few of those uh, topics coming out of Peter, just going to call you to a season of prayer. Then Pastor Daniel's going to come. He's going to lead you through another season of prayer together this morning. So I'm not going to preach a long, long time. We're going to spend some time praying together uh, as we kick off this new year. But let's take a look at 1 Peter together. So go ahead and turn, if you haven't already, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit, talk about a few of these things, and then we're going to have some big ideas that flow out of this. Verse 1 says, Peter. Stop right there. That's as far as we're going to get today. (laughs) I'm half joking. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now stop right there for just a second. Anytime you're studying the book of the Bible, you want to begin by asking some key questions. For example, who wrote this? Who was he writing to? Who were the recipients of this letter? Why was this letter being written? What was the point behind it? 
I mean, if you walk out in the parking lot today on your way home, you're walking to your car and you find a letter laying down in the parking lot and you pick it up and you start to read it, it's not going to make any sense to you whatsoever until you say, okay, who wrote this? Uh, who, who are they writing to? What's the whole point of this letter? And that's what we want to take just a couple minutes to do here. So we see from the very beginning, Peter introduces himself and says, the author of this is none other than Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ himself. We'll talk about Peter in just a minute. He says the recipients of this letter are a group of people he describes as elect exiles of the dispersion. Now again, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but the idea is it is these Jews and Gentile believers that have been scattered, dispersed, if you will, all over the Roman world. Particularly, he lists some regions here, Pontus, Galatia, those, and you say, I have no idea where that is. What's important to remember, these letters were written to particular people in particular places at points in history. This is not a myth. This is a particular group of people. These places are real places. This is what we would call today modern-day Turkey. If you go to one of your Bible maps and pull that out, where is this region? It would be what we would call modern-day Turkey. If you don't know where that is, that doesn't help you, we've got a map for you. I love maps. Pull that up. It's that region of the world. So Peter is writing from Rome, most likely, to a group of believers scattered, particularly in this area, during the Roman Empire. And he's writing to them in a season in particular, and let me just sum it up this way. It's costing them something to name the name of Christ. It's, 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 they're experiencing suffering and persecution and loss and difficulty for naming the name of Jesus. And he reminds them and he calls them exiles. The word exile here, the way Peter uses it, your Bible may say stranger, it may say alien, something like that. Here's what that word means. It means a person who is staying for a while in a strange place. It's a person who's living somewhere for a temporary period of time that's not their home. That's what, that's what Peter's reminding this group of believers. Hey, no matter what you experience, just, just be reminded, this world's not your home. It's like you're in exile. It's like you're a stranger. By the way, if you feel like you're a stranger and you feel like an outsider, that's because you are. Doesn't mean we live in retreat. It doesn't mean we go off in a mountain and we, you know, we abandon the world. No, we've been left here in the world. But Jesus promised in the Gospels, remember, this world's going to hate you. Don't be surprised. If you were of this world, the world will love you. You're not of this world. Be not surprised when you feel and you are treated like an alien in this world, like a stranger, like an exile, because that's who you are. It's the theme throughout 1 Peter that we're going to see. But then he adds this little phrase. He says, to the elect exiles. The elect word there is talking about God's sovereign activity in salvation and calling these disciples unto himself. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Here's kind of the way I look at that. It's as if Peter is saying, okay, you're rejected by the world. Let me just remind you, you've been sovereignly chosen by God himself. You may be in exile, but you're an elect exile. Verse 2, he helps out with that a little bit. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Your salvation, was, your salvation was put into effect before the world ever began by the foreknowledge of God the Father. In the sanctifying work of the Spirit, unto or for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's a lot there. We'll spend a week just talking about verse 2 and all that's there about the stability and the rock-solid grounding of our salvation rooted in God's gracious, sovereign choice. And these exiles, they needed to hear that. That's what Peter writes. It also gives some great theology. Then he goes on, and, and to help us a little further, we ask the question, okay, Peter, why do you write this letter, verse 3, this great doxology here at the beginning? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
unfading, kept in heaven for you. To these believers who felt like everything was unraveling and it was costing them something in that day, Peter says, by the way, you have an inheritance which is imperishable. Undefiled, it cannot be tainted by the world. It is unfading and it's kept in heaven for you. You press on and you endure. The promises of God are secure. They needed to hear that. Who, by God's power, verse 5, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, love this, in this you rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, here's the purpose of the letter, one of them, you have been grieved by various trials. The word various is this idea of multicolored. Various trials, experiences have come upon them, difficulty, loss, pain, whatever it is, we're going to talk about some of these. At this period of time, because they're naming the name of Christ, it's costing them something. He says, these trials have come upon you, verse 7, why? So that, so that is an answer to the question, why? So that your tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory, the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You are being tested, your faith is being tested by fire because genuine faith always endures and when that faith endures, even in the midst of a test of fire, it will bring honor to the one who is the author of your faith, Jesus himself. That was a lot, you get that? Will Jesus allow us to go through testing to refine our faith? Yes! In fact, he will direct it and oversee it. Why? Because genuine faith will not fail. And is that faith to be testimony of our greatness? No, of the author and of the perfecter of our faith. That's why Peter says there'll be a day when Christ returns and your genuine faith which endures, which has been tested by trials and all that you've gone through, it will bring glory and honor to King Jesus. Here's the point. Nothing you go through is wasted. To the glory of Christ. All glory be to Christ. We just sang about it. So those exiles needed to hear that. You and I need to hear that. We need to be reminded that it may cost us something to the name the name of Christ. That's becoming increasingly true in our culture. We know that. That's why I'm grateful for the timely nature of 1 Peter for us as a church. We need to hear the same thing. We look at ton of different topics that Peter's going to hit on we'll see over the next few months but what I want to do this morning is I want to take just a couple minutes and I want to introduce a little more clearly Peter himself so first Peter 1 1 is very clear as letters in that day the author of the letter was introduced from the beginning he says Peter an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ now you and I know that one of the most prominent figures in all of the New Testament through the Gospels is Peter right We know as much about Peter, or really more about Peter, than we know about any of the other apostles or disciples, except we know more about Peter than, save only the Lord Jesus is written about more. So we got a ton of information on Peter. We know Peter's weaknesses, right? We talk about those a lot. Maybe some of those come to mind. We know about Peter's strengths. Just to give you a little background about Peter, Peter was a Jew. Peter grew up around the region of the Sea of Galilee in a little town called Capernaum, which ultimately became Jesus' headquarters there in Peter's hometown. We know Peter was married. He's going to talk about that a little bit later. He speaks on marriage in chapter 3. We know he was named at birth a good Jewish name. He was given the name Simon, which is a derivative from the word Simeon, which is one of the sons of Jacob. He had a good Jewish name. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and a part of his discipleship changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. Sometimes he's called Cephas, which is an Aramaic language of the day, translation of the same idea. Cephas, Peter mean the same thing, mean rock. Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter to this rock, not because he always acted like a rock, because Jesus will complete what he starts in the process of sanctification. Peter, you're not a rock now, but you're going to be. And he's going to faithfully be transforming Peter into this name that he's already called him to be. Now, when I look at his calling briefly, I'm going to spend a lot of time here. Mark chapter 1, we see 
Jesus' calling of Peter to himself. Mark 1.16 says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, that's where Peter grew up, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Verse 17. Now here's what I want you to hear. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus calls Peter to himself as a disciple. And here's what a disciple is. It's defined for us in verse 17. A disciple is one who follows Jesus with their whole life. A disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus. Because Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you become. You know where we're living in our Christian life? We are in that I'm making you to become. It's called sanctification. That's where all of us are, by the way. And he says to Peter, follow me and I will make you to become. Disciples are those who are being changed by Jesus. And then he says, I'll make you become fishers of men. In other words, disciples are those who are engaged actively in the mission of Jesus. Does Jesus make disciples? It's a trick question, by the way. Yes and no. He makes disciples, but he always makes disciples who are making disciples. Never starts with just discipleship. We as a church do you a disservice as one of your leaders or just churches do a disservice to focus only on discipleship and say that is the goal is, is discipleship. Yes, the goal is disciples who are then making disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples. So from the beginning, he calls Peter as a disciple, says you are going to be transformed, you're going to be growing, but you are going to be actively engaged in making other disciples. And you say, man, what a guy. No, that's called Christianity. That's what it is. Peter's called to be a disciple. But then Peter has a distinct calling. We see that in Mark chapter 3, and I'm not going to spend time to read all of this. It'll be on the screen for you. But we see a distinct calling of Peter and the other apostles of the Lord Jesus. Verse 13, Mark 3 says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called those to himself whom he desired. Verse 14, And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles. An apostle is one who is sent out. That's what the word apostle means. These are the particular distinct apostles of Jesus who were called and set apart. The Bible goes on and says, He appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. He gave them authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Simon is called and set apart as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a unique group of men. This was a unique group of men that walked with Jesus. They witnessed the resurrection. They were particularly set apart for this time for the church. Jesus personally called and set apart and commissioned each one of them, endowing them with power. These apostles were the foundation of the church, according to Ephesians 2.20. These apostles received direct revelation from the Spirit, Ephesians 3.5. They were the authors of the New Testament. They were models of holiness and Christ's likeness. Ephesians 3.5 says they are holy apostles. They were given powerful signs and wonders to confirm the authority of their teaching, 2 Corinthians 12. And they were they're to be eternally honored, by the way. This distinct group of apostles, Revelation chapter 21, 14 says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Wow. Distinct group. Here's what I want you to see. Peter was their leader. In every list of the apostles throughout the Bible, the Gospels, and then also in Acts again, Peter's always first. You see Peter is the leader of the apostles. Now here's what we know. Peter had great raw leadership material. Peter had so many gifts to offer. But here's what you and I know, right? Peter was a mess. Can we say amen? I don't know about you. I'm deeply grateful that God chose to include in his canon of Scripture Peter. Didn't hide his flaws. Didn't hide his mistakes. They're all there. And what you see throughout the Gospels particularly is Jesus, the work of the Spirit, transforming a disciple into greater and greater Christ-likeness. Man, I need that. And you see that in the life of Peter. He has raw material. He was set apart to be the leader of these apostles. You see that his 
his shaping, he is continually being changed by Jesus. He had some great qualities. Peter was bold. Remember, it's Peter that out on the water steps out on the water to walk towards Jesus. None of the other apostles did that. It's Peter in his boldness. And at the same time, he was easily distracted. Remember? Gets out on the water, the waves get a little crazy, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. So at the same time he has great boldness and he's easily distracted. That's true of you and me. Peter was articulate, man. He he spoke revelation of God in, in Matthew 16, 16. It's Peter that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. And in the same chapter, he is rebuking Jesus (laughs) and says, Lord, I know you're the Son of God, and I know you're the creator of all the ends of the earth, but you got this one all wrong. And Jesus comes back to Peter and says, you're a stumbling block to me. The same mouth that spoke truth is the same mouth that speaks temptation. That can be true of you and me, by the way. It's in process. You see, he was bold, he was articulate, he took the initiative. I mean, he's the one that's ready to chop off the head of the guys when they come in to arrest Jesus in the garden. You say he cut off Malchus's ear. Do you think he was aiming at Malchus's ear? No way. He's ready to chop off his head. He's taking initiative. And Jesus says, calm down, Peter. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? What are you doing, Peter? This is not the way. On and on, you see these great qualities in Peter, but they're so rough. And you see this faithful process of discipleship. In the Gospels, you see this sanctification in the disciples' life. And then you come to 1 Peter. And the writing of 1 Peter by this disciple we have is somewhere around 30, maybe 40 years since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see these teachings of Jesus and all that Jesus poured into Peter and all that the Spirit of God continued to pour into Peter take root and and bear fruit and you see the seasoning of this disciple in his writings in 1 Peter. Through those years Peter had suffered threats and arrests and imprisonment. It had cost him the name of the name of Christ. And then you get to 1 Peter and you see from his hand inspired by the Holy Spirit through the apostle you see Someone who's grown and someone who's matured far from perfect. But you see the fruit of all that Jesus had invested in his life. 1 Peter 5, 10, it's not on the screen. Peter writes this, and this kind of captures it. He says at the end of his book, he says, after all this, speaking to these exiles, he says, after you have suffered for a little while, he says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you, Peter says. My God will finish what he started. He's done it in me. He will perfect. He will confirm. He will strengthen. He will establish you. Even though right now it looks like everything's coming apart, he says you can trust the faithfulness of our King. So here's what I want to do. I want to take just a few minutes and I want to list for you very quickly, and these will be fast, three big ideas, three lessons that Peter learned. And we see that in his writing. He learned countless lessons, but I'm going to give you a quick three that's going to lead us into a season of prayer. Then Pastor Daniel's going to come lead us into another quick section that's going to guide us into a time of corporate prayer. Let me give you three big ideas, and these will serve to be some things that Peter learned. Number one, big idea is this. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Anybody need to learn that? All of you, because you just kadibbed yourself. I do. And we look at Peter, and one of the things that seemed to stand out in Peter is Peter had this self-reliance. He had this boldness, which God used, but he had this independent streak where he was going to do it his way, through his strength. He wasn't going to fail. Jesus said, look, all the disciples are going to fall away. You're all going to turn from me. And Peter says, huh? Not me. Jesus said, temptation's coming your way, Peter. Pray so that you will not enter into temptation. You know what Peter did? Fell asleep. (laughs) There was this self-reliance, this independence about Peter that cost him. There was this pride. And then you come to 1 Peter and throughout the pages of 1 Peter, 40 years later, you see someone who has been broken and humbled by the Spirit of God and by the truth of God. And you capture this in 1 Peter 5.5 where Peter says, Clothe yourselves. 
all of you with humility. In other words, Peter had this idea of his role and his place and his strength. He said, no, you put on humility toward one another. And he says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter had to learn the hard way when he was walking in pride, the pride of his own flesh. He was literally walking in opposition to God. So Peter says, humble yourselves. Learn to walk in a humble spirit, independent. Not independence, not self-reliance, dependence. Peter had to learn that. We're going to pray through that in just a minute. Secondly, big idea was this. Peter learned that we love Jesus by loving his people. Peter had to learn that in a hard way. See, the Peter in the Gospels that that stands out to us is this. Luke 9 says there was an argument that arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? Well, here's what Jesus let me do. Well, here's the strength I have. Or here's what I bring to the table. Did you see what I did? And they're arguing about who is the greatest. Who do you think was leading that argument? Peter. And you come to Matthew 26 and Jesus says this. He says, He says, all of you are going to fall away tonight because of me. And Peter comes back and says, well, all of these guys may fall away. In other words, I'm not really concerned about what's going on with them. In fact, my pride has so blinded me, I cannot have legitimate concern for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Y'all hear that? I'll never fall away. So Jesus had to break Peter and he had to teach Peter. And he had... Remember walking on the beach after Jesus' failure. He said, all right, Peter, you love me? You love me? You love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And Peter had to learn that we love Jesus by loving his people. And then you come to 1 Peter and evidently he learned that. 1 Peter 1, 22, chapter 1, verse 22 says this. Peter writes and he says, since then, in obedience to the truth, you've purified your souls for what? A sincere love of the brethren. And then he says, fervently love one another from the heart. That word fervently means to stretch, to do whatever it takes to demonstrate love for one another. Your pride will keep you from loving one another. Pride was so blinding to Peter, he couldn't even love his fellow disciples and apostles. Then he came to 1 Peter and he had been broken. He had been humbled. And then he realizes we love Jesus by loving his people. Third big idea and finally is this. And this is a tough one for Peter, it's a tough one for all of us. It's this, that Jesus calls his followers to a life of submission. Anybody like that word? No. Peter had a real problem with submission. He had a problem with submission to the authorities, the government. He didn't want to pay his taxes. Jesus teaches him and pulls a fish out of the water and says, Now, Peter, go pay your taxes. Submit to the government. Peter had a hard time submitting to what Jesus said. Peter, you're going to fall away. I'm not going to fall away. No way. Peter, you need to pray. Peter, you're going to come under temptation. Peter, I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. No way. That doesn't fit into my plan for the kingdom, Jesus. Peter had a real hard time with yielding his will to God's perfect revealed you see his shaping through this, and you see this come to a crux, the final, I don't know, crescendo, if you will, in John 21. And I'll read you a few verses here. Remember, we re- referred to this earlier, but after Peter's disastrous failure of denying Jesus three times, right? I don't know him. I don't know this man. I don't know who this man is. Denied him three times. Post-resurrection, Jesus appears there in Galilee. And he walks with Peter and the disciples, and here's what he says to Peter. This incredible verse, verse 18 and 19 of John 21. Jesus speaking to Peter says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. In other words, you were free to do whatever you want. This is a word picture Jesus is giving Peter. When you were young up to this point, Peter, you kind of go wherever you want, do whatever you want. But now that you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What riddle are you talking about, Jesus? He explains it, verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. Translation. Peter, not your will, I will. Peter, not your strength, 
my strength. Peter, follow me. And oh, by the way, Peter, it's going to cost you everything. Follow me. He says, Peter, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. He's very clear about that. And we know Peter got it because 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about his imminent death. He knows it's going to cost him. Peter knew that. And you know what Peter did? Followed him. Perfectly? No. But he pursued a life of submission. We come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 6. And Peter says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. His will, not mine. His plan, not mine. His strength, not mine. Now, what I want us to do, I want this to guide us into a time of prayer. I'm just going to ask the team to come on up and just to begin to play. And again, we're not finished this is just going to transition into a season to pray some of these things through that we're going to be learning out of first peter and i want to invite you just to kind of get into a posture of prayer whatever that means for you You can pray together you can pray individually whatever you want to do there but i'm just going to ask you to pray two or three specific things then pastor daniel is going to come and introduce one more and guide us through a season of prayer but here's what i here's what i'd like for you to pray again just in a worshipful attitude this morning is basically this God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Would you be willing this morning to pray and cry out to your Lord and say, Lord, would you faithfully expose any areas of pride in my life? These areas of independence, these areas of self-reliance, these areas where I, I want my own way more than yours, that I'm not walking in dependence. Lord, would you help me to humble myself before you? Just pray something like that this morning. pride is revealed in our lives is it makes us so self-centered it hinders us from loving others and serving others so Peter writes and he says fervently love one another from the heart take just a minute and pray and say Lord would you enable me by your spirit to love you Jesus by loving fervently your people What's best for my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I lay down my preferences in a brand new year? How can I build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I be a disciple maker? Let's take a few minutes and pray that. Jesus calls us to a life of submission. His model, Peter says in his letter, is none other than Jesus himself. 1 Peter 2, verse 23, speaking of Christ, laying down his life on the cross, he says, verse 23, And while being reviled, he, Jesus, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him, his Father, who judges righteously. That's submission. Jesus, in all perfect power, submitted his will to the will of his Father. To pray something like this, Lord, help me to yield, not my will, but yours. Lord, not my strength, but yours. Lord, teach me to walk in this type of submission modeled by you knowing that you will exalt us at the proper time. Pray that.
Father, we worship you with our lives. Draw us close to you. Teach us to abide in your son, Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge you as we look into Peter and continue in a time of prayer, but I want to be real for just a minute, okay, and just make sure that we uh, personalize how we're coming into this season. Are any of you tired? You don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. Some of you are like, amen. You weary? Um, Anxious? I don't mean that like in the tops of commercials we see that just acknowledges that the last year or two has been hard and, you know, it's filled with adversity and all that. I don't even mean it that way. I, I want to go deeper than that, and I want to speak to you as one of your pastors who shepherds and cares for you and walks alongside of life with you. The last couple of years have been hard. Um, We're weary, we're tired, uh, we faced a level of adversity and trial that has tested us. It's tough. Many of us have lost people who we care deeply about. We've had to press on in the midst of just exhausting circumstances. As we open the pages of Scripture, they teach us who God is. But they also teach us who we are. Sometimes that's unpleasant. Sometimes it exposes in us blind spots and sin. Things that we would rather not know to be true of ourselves. And one of the things about Scripture that's really just, I think, fascinating is that it's written over hundreds and hundreds of years. You don't just see individuals. You see whole generations, groups of people at the same time, at the same place, who share a similar ideology, a similar worldview like us. And you begin to see some themes about those generations that we are slow to repent, that we are slow to let go of and change our course of action, that we are often blinded by our own norms to the point that we excuse ourselves out of obedience. And that whole generations delay. We delay. We avoid. We wait. And so faithful pursuit is replaced by passive, just passive pride. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about as a church, today we are increasingly paralyzed to sacrificial pursuits. Tempted more and more to excuse away the call to action and to replace it with a passivity that just waits. Tired, we wait to be refreshed. Anxious, we wait for certainty. Hurt, we wait for justice first. Threatened, we wait for safety. Ignorant, we wait for personal revelation. Inexperience, we wait for expertise. And with each passing hour, our definition of faithful action twists to better excuse our self-centered desires. 
See, this is the temptation of our day. And this also was the world in which Peter writes his letters. See, when we think of Peter, Mike is right, I think we go back to that night in which Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. On that same night, by the way, Jesus told Peter and his disciples, the world hates you. This world will hate you. But a long time has passed since that night in Peter's life. It's been roughly a quarter of a century since then. And as he writes this letter to us and to the church there in 1 Peter, he has lived as a faithful disciple and he has experienced that big truth. The hate of the world, the hardship of trial. See, Peter has been threatened. He's been slandered. He's been beaten. He's been arrested. Those 25 years have not just been easy. Just because he abided in Jesus, just because he was a child of God, did not make his circumstances pleasant. And recognizing this, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, trial, suffering, and hardship, it threatened to shell-shock the church, to paralyze them, to remove from them a sense of action. See, it threatened and tempted them to wait. Wait for a time where they weren't tired. Wait for a time where they weren't anxious. Wait for a time where it was safer. Peter, having lived as a faithful disciple in this world, knew those circumstances aren't coming in this world. He recognized it as a great temptation. The temptation to be overwhelmed. Anybody overwhelmed? And to let those feelings of being overwhelmed drive you to wait to be content in this world. A world that's broken. A world that hates you because of the Christ that lives within you. And so Peter begins his letter in 1 Peter with a clear proclamation of the gospel. He tells us as the church to fix our eyes on Jesus. A living hope. When Peter says living hope, it's like Paul's faith. A living hope that surpasses the circumstances of the day that looks fully to Jesus for purpose in life. And then out of that in verse 13, he says, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That phrase, preparing your mind for action, it's actually a metaphor. It, if you translated it straight from the Greek, it doesn't translate that way. It's actually a metaphor. This is what it literally means. Gird up the loins of your mind. See, in their day, that gird up your loins is a metaphor. They wore these long tunics, these long robes. And when it was time to work, when it was time to run, you rolled up that robe and you tucked it in so that your legs would not be impeded, so that you could work, so that you could run. And here is Peter with all the challenges of the day to an audience who was tempted to be overwhelmed. And he says, get your mind ready for action. Don't be shell-shocked. Don't be paralyzed. Don't wait. It is time to roll up your robe to tuck it in and run the race that is set before you. 
As we go before the Lord in prayer and we pray, Lord, may your word in Peter challenge us, transform us. I want you to hear a central message that you're going to hear throughout. You may be tired. You may be anxious. You are tempted to wait. But God's word has called you to roll up your robe, tuck it in, and run the race that is set before you. There is something bigger than yourself. And even as I say that, I think many of you can feel the cultural definitions, the temptation pulling against that as if it sounds cold or out of order or doesn't feel right. And yet God's word Peter, 25 years a faithful apostle, says, no, it's time to go to work. It is time to run. It is time to sacrifice, to lay down, and to pursue that much further. Why? Because we do not want to let the shock of hardship and suffering turn us away from an inheritance that is imperishable, Peter says, undefiled unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Rather, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So church, I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray for wisdom to focus on the living hope that is Jesus. To understand that he is your purpose. That our hope in him surpasses every circumstance of this life. And I'm going to ask you to pray for the Spirit's transformation in you that you would not trip about in the temptation to wait. But as a church, as we study through Peter, that you would be stirred up to act, to go, to worship with your life in action, through the weariness, through the hardship, through the suffering, and that as doing so, the testimony of Jesus, your living hope that fuels such a pursuit would be made known to your family, to your friends, to our neighbors, and to the nations. Would you pray with me? Reveal yourself to us. Give us wisdom to see the living hope that is in your son, Jesus. Father, do a work in us transform us lead us to repentance to set aside the distractions of this world the illusion that we will be content here 
Father, remind us that there is no dual citizenship in your kingdom. That the old is dead and we now belong to you. And in this world, Father, we are aliens. But you're ambassadors. You're representatives set apart to make you known. To spend our lives worshiping you in such a way that the gospel, that hope is seen by our family, our friends, our neighbors, and the nations. Father, I pray that you do a work in our church. May our passion be something bigger than ourselves. May we not wait. May we not be paralyzed. May we not be pridefully passive. But God, through your grace, raise us up to faithfully pursue to pour out ourselves and rejoice along the way not in the loss that we feel in this day or in the circumstances of this world but in the alignment of your son Jesus Father I pray that as we study Peter you would take glory and honor from our lives in action. Father, I love you. Thank you for your love for us that you would send us your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.